Amen. Well, RCC, thank you so much for having me. You guys have welcomed us so well, and it's my privilege today uh, to be here with you and to open God's Word. I was thinking um, just of the blessing that it is to sit under God's Word. I don't know if you've ever gone away on vacation for a week. You know that feeling when you come back home and you get into your house and you put your luggage away and you sit down and you just feel like, oh, it's good to be home. Well, that's, that's how we're meant to feel when we open God's Word. Just, ah, oh, this is a firm foundation for us. This is home for us. And it is amazing to let God speak to us. So, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, why don't you open it? We're in Acts 8 this morning. Um, Acts 8, verses 26 to 40. Now, actually, at Cornerstone, we're going through Acts 2. We're just a little behind you guys, so you're a little ahead of us. And um, over the past week, what I've been hearing is you guys have been working your way through the story of Philip. As Philip went into Samaria and evangelized Samaria and brought the gospel to the Samaritans. And we saw last week how when the gospel shows up, it displaces powers. It created community and it overcame old hostilities. Well, in a sudden turn of events... In Acts 8, Philip packs up and leaves Samaria suddenly. You know, I don't know if you've heard, there's this revival happening at this church, I mean, this school in the States at Asbury, and people have been there for four to five days, they're praying and they're worshiping. Well, imagine a revival breaks out, and the pastor goes, that's great, I'm out of here, and leaves, and just leaves the revival going and packs up and heads out. Well, that's what we see in our text. Philip gets up and leaves and heads out of Samaria. In our text this morning, he has this incredible encounter with a man who God has singled out to hear the gospel. Much of the book of Acts is a great benchmark for how the church mission and evangelism ought to work today. And we see all kinds of helpful patterns and norms throughout Acts that really can help us figure out how to do evangelism and mission in the church. And as we seek to share the gospel with others, as we seek to see those who we love come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, there are some very helpful observations here in this text that can help encourage and equip us. So, hopefully your Bible's opened. Hear now the word of the Lord, coming from Acts 8, verses 26 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south, go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip up to come up and to sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. 
Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, what can we learn from this text? What can we draw from this text to help us, to help equip us in gospel mission as we share Christ with those whom we encounter? We want to be on gospel mission, and this gives us some great, great, great observations about gospel mission. The first thing that we see is this. We see the inclusion of outsiders. In our text, Philip is instructed by an angel of the Lord to travel south towards Gaza. And on this road, Philip encounters a man. And it's important for us to see that Luke makes a big deal about who this guy is. And he gives us a lot of information, a lot of biography on this guy. In verses 27 to 28, he tells us this. Number one, he was Ethiopian. This would be modern-day Sudan. Uh, for us. This man would have been considered a foreigner, and most commentators and scholars agree that he probably would have been black. We see that he was a eunuch, number two. Luke tells us that the man was a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, and he was in charge of all of her treasures. It was pretty common practice in those days for those who oversaw the king's harem, or who were in often close proximity to the queen to be castrated. Kind of a brutal practice, but it kind of guaranteed no funny business was going on. And finally, we see that this guy had an interest in Judaism. He was on his way back, on his way to Jerusalem. He had come from Jerusalem to worship, and he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. So clearly, this guy is interested in Judaism. But there's a pretty significant roadblock for this guy when it comes to him and Judaism. And it's the fact that he is a eunuch. Eunuchs were not allowed to be part of the covenant community. Deuteronomy 23.1 says that it was forbidden for any man who was castrated, any, any eunuch from entering into the assembly of God. Ben Witherington III is helpful here in his commentary. He says this, The fact that Luke has carefully presented this story 
so that the eunuch is portrayed as someone on the fringes of Judaism, as the eunuch's reading of Isaiah shows. So not only is this man on the outside of Judaism, Judea and Samaria, right? He's coming from Ethiopia. But he's on the outside of Judaism. He's on the very fringes, if that, of Judaism. This was a man who did not belong to the covenant community, and yet God makes a very specific point with great care to send Philip to bring the light of the gospel of Jesus to him. See, in the Old Testament, there was actually a prophecy that one day, people like this would be included into the very community of God, even though the law forbade it. It's funny, uh, the man is reading from Isaiah 53, but if you jump three chapters later to Isaiah 56, listen to what Isaiah says the Messiah will accomplish. Isaiah 56, verses 3 to 5. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbaths, who chooses the things that please me and holds fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name, get this, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Isaiah prophesied a day where foreigners and eunuchs, people barred by the law from the covenant community, would be brought into the house of God and given an everlasting name. And we are seeing that fulfillment right here in this text. And this is why Luke makes such a big deal of who this man is. The point is this. The gospel has no physical, ethnic, social, or cultural boundaries. The Apostle, per- the Apostle Paul will make this very explicitly clear in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All of us in Christ are welcome. All of us, doesn't matter our background, we are welcome. We are one in Christ. All are welcome to hear the good news of the gospel and come and find eternal life. So this this is God fulfilling his word that he's going to draw people from all kinds of tribes and nations and tongues and cultures and socioeconomic backgrounds. And that should fill us with immense confidence and hope. When we think about those people in our lives who seem on the fringes, like, man, they're never going to get saved. This person is hostile. My, My family member or my neighbor or my friend. They are so resistant to the gospel. This can never happen. What what this shows us is the gospel can even take somebody on the very fringes 
of society. On what, what, what we appear, what it looks to us to be on the outside, the gospel can bring them in. So when you think of those in your life who don't know Jesus, when you think of the unreached nations that we support as a church to try to reach the gospel with, we should remind ourselves that God keeps his promises, that the gospel will go for it even into unlikely places. That's the first thing we see in this text. And man, that should encourage us and strengthen us. But secondly, we see this. What can we see about gospel mission here? Where the gospel mission goes out? Well, we see the presence of divine help. When we read through it, I hope you noticed, man, just how active God is in this text. Look at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. There are several times in the book of Acts that we see angels showing up. And they're there to give specific direction and instruction and intervention from God. Angels are God's messengers. And they act on behalf of God. In Acts 5, we saw this. An angel liberates the apostles from prison, if you remember. And he says, go into the temple courtyard and preach. And so they obey. In Acts 12, we'll get to this. An angel delivers Peter from prison. And here again, we see an angel appearing to Philip and instructing him to go down towards Gaza. God is directly involved in this situation. But not only do we see the angel, we see the, the very real presence of the Holy Spirit directing Philip. In verse 29, the Spirit tells Philip, go over and join the chariot. And then at the end of our text, in verse 39, it says that the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. Now, whether that's a miraculous event, there's some debate, if Philip just vanished, um, or if this is just another way of saying the Spirit led Philip away and Philip went to the next town. Regardless, what we are seeing is the very real presence of the Holy Spirit leading and guiding and directing Philip in this encounter. God is intently involved in guiding and directing Philip in his mission and evangelism. So Luke is showing us here that God is intimately involved with his people in gospel mission. God is actively involved, guiding, directing, causing certain events to happen in order that his purposes are accomplished in gospel mission. It's, it was interesting. It struck me when I was reading through this text again. In Acts 6 to 8, we're tracking the stories of two guys primarily, Stephen and Philip. Acts 6.3 tells us that these are two men who are both full of the Spirit and wisdom. But did you notice who these men were? They weren't apostles. They weren't elders. These were just regular, godly, Spirit-filled, wise men in the church. They, were, they weren't on some cut above. They weren't in some sort of different stratosphere. These were just godly, godly men in the church who God used. And the power of the Spirit, enough to do signs and wonders and miracles, 
was working through these ordinary people of the church. These are just people of the Holy Spirit, people of wisdom that God was using. The Puritan John Flavel will say this, and this is, should be deeply encouraging to us. The duty is ours, but the power is of God. What power we have depends upon the exciting and assisting strength of Christ. So here's the question. Do you believe this to be true? Do you believe this to be true of yourself? Do you believe that the Spirit of God lives within you and is able to guide and direct and instruct you as you seek to bring the gospel to those around you? Do you believe that? Or do you say, well, God can't use me. That's Pastor Levi's job. That's the elder's job. They're the ones who are supposed to go out and share the gospel, not me. That's an elder's, pastor's role. I'm just a church member. But that kind of thinking denies the very promises of Christ to his church. Jesus himself promised that he would provide help for us in this task. In John 16, verses 7, Jesus says this, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And we have seen through the book of Acts how he has. And how the Holy Spirit was working in power, and not just in apostles, but through regular people like Stephen and Philip. Regular folks who are filled with the Spirit and filled with the wisdom of God. Another commentator, I. Howard Marshall, says this, what is important is that in this way, Philip's journey and the subsequent action are seen to have been instigated by God and thus to have been part of his intention. The church did not stumble upon the idea of evangelizing the Gentiles. It did so in accordance with God's deliberate purposes. It is God's purpose to reach the nations, to reach the outsider with the gospel of Jesus. And he has given us his Holy Spirit to help us to accomplish that goal. So this ought to make us bold and courageous and confident. This ought to radically transform our prayer life. And you ask, well, why? Well, because daily we should be praying that God would help us not to quench the Spirit in our lives with sin and doubt, but rather that God would grant us the strength through His Spirit to share Christ boldly. You know, we can't pray with confidence certain prayers. We can't pray in confidence that, God, make me rich. Uh, We can't pray with any confidence. Maybe God doesn't want us to be rich. We can't pray with any confidence a prayer like I pray, like, God, help get rid of my back pain. Maybe maybe God doesn't want my back pain to go away because he wants me to be prayerful and dependent on him. But there are prayers we can pray with confidence, and one of them is this. For God to empower your evangelism with his spirit. 
And we can pray it with confidence because he has promised to do that. It is a promise from God. Jesus told us to take the gospel to every nation, to every tribe. It's a promise, therefore, that he will be with us to the end of the age, that he will go with us with his spirit. And so that makes us bold. And the Apostle Paul will say that. Listen in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves, oh no, to claim anything as coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Such is our confidence, RCC. So, in this story, as we look at the gospel mission going forward, we see outsiders being brought in. We've seen the presence of divine help. Well, thirdly, we see the power of the word of God, the power of the scriptures. Philip, having been instructed by the Spirit, totally obedient, approaches the chariot, and here's the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And it's a portion of Isaiah where he's talking about the suffering servant, the Messiah of God. And Philip asks the man, hey, do you even know what you're reading? You're reading this text. Do you understand it? And the guy's like, well, how can I understand it? I need somebody to explain it to me. And so the, the, the man invites Philip to sit with him in the chariot. And then he asks him a question about the text. Look at verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. See, Philip was able, he was equipped, starting from the text that the man was reading, to explain to this man how Jesus Christ was the prophet, was, was whom the prophet was speaking of. And then he was able to preach the gospel of Jesus to the man. So it's clear that Philip is a man of the word. He knew this text. He knew that it applied to Jesus. And he was able, with confidence, through the power of the Spirit, to preach the gospel to this guy from this text. You know, it's all too common today, I think, that we overcomplicate evangelism and we psych ourselves out. We often feel like we need to learn all these new styles of evangelism. And so we study presuppositional apologetics and we watch Apologia Church online and we watch YouTube videos of Christians slamming unbelievers and we're like, yeah, now I'm equipped to go out and to preach the gospel. Now, there's something to say, of course, for learning how to contextualize the gospel and to address arguments. And we're going to see the Apostle Paul do that as we go through Acts. But for most of us, it doesn't need to be more complicated than building a relationship with somebody and then inviting them to read the Bible with you. For most of us, it doesn't need to be more complicated than inviting a friend over 
praying to the Holy Spirit that he will provide an opportunity. And then just open the Bible, go through the Gospel of Mark, study, and tell them about Jesus through it. But for most of us, we don't even get there. For most of us, we don't get there, do we? You see what it says in verse 34? Then Philip opened his mouth. For most of us, I think maybe we'll get the friend over. Maybe we'll get the coworker over. And maybe we'll get dinner made and we'll have a conversation. And maybe we might even get deep. But it's getting that mouth open and letting the scriptures be opened where we just falter. And I think it's because we, we doubt and we struggle. We put too much belief in our own abilities. We put too much hope in our own ability to explain and to have somebody come to a knowledge. But what we hear from this text is that Philip opened the Bible. Philip opened his mouth. But God granted understanding. We just need to faithfully share Jesus. But God softens the heart. God does all the heavy lifting. We just need to open our mouths and talk about Jesus from the Word. That's it. We leave the rest to the power of the Spirit and the power of the Word of God. And all this eunuch needed was a Holy Spirit filled, scripture saturated, Jesus loving Christian to preach Jesus to him from the scriptures so that God could open his eyes and so that he could understand. So, RCC, ask yourself could you open the Bible with a friend, with a colleague, with a family member? or whoever it is that the Holy Spirit brings into your path, and use the Scriptures to tell them the good news about Jesus. Kind of a sub-question to this is, well, do we love the Scriptures? Do we know the Scriptures? Are we being radically transformed ourselves by the Scriptures? And there's something here important for us to note about this that I'll just say is that the Bible often warns us that you can read the Bible your whole life and you can study the Bible your whole life and yet you can still not understand the Scriptures. Jesus says this, and he warns the Pharisees about this in John 5. He says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and they bear witness about me and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So it's very true that we can read the Scriptures and read them, but we don't understand them. So this is what this text brings before us. Can I open the Scriptures? Can I bring them to somebody? And can I share with them the news of Jesus? Charles Spurgeon said this on this text, a great line. You can begin anywhere in the Bible and preach Jesus. You can start at the first chapter of Genesis or at the last chapter of Malachi, at the first of Matthew, or the last of Revelation, and still preach Jesus, for he is the sum and the substance of the whole Scripture. So like Philip, God has sent us 
equipped with his spirit, but with the power of the scriptures for this very task. But it takes us opening our Bibles and opening our mouths to share the gospel with those whom God, by his spirit, leads us to encounter. The Apostle Paul frames it this way beautifully in Romans 10. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Church, we are the sent. That's us. And so will you be prepared when the time comes to do the same as Philip? Well, we've seen the inclusion of outsiders. We've seen the divine help of God. We've seen the power of the scriptures in action. Well, the final thing we see in this picture of gospel mission is this. The response of faith. As Philip preached the scriptures and the gospel to the eunuch, it's clear from the text that the subject of baptism and obedience to Christ has come up. After all, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, in the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So Philip would have explained as he preached the gospel to this man that in order to follow Jesus, you must be baptized in obedience to him. Look at what happens in verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the the eunuch said, here, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So the eunuch, coming to a saving knowledge of Christ, is stirred, he's moved by the gospel, he sees his need for salvation, and he recognizes Christ's call for a total life surrender. And the response to the gospel is immediate. The man decides to obey Christ and asks to be baptized immediately. And Philip sees no reason to not baptize the man. Nobody's going to baptize him in Ethiopia. He's the only Christian going there. He's now on mission. So he's like, yeah, I don't see any reason either. And he baptizes him immediately. This pattern, and Pastor Levi mentioned this already, this, this pattern of faith and then baptism is prominent throughout the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, if you remember, back towards the early days of this series, Peter preaches this sermon to the multitude, and they ask him, what must we do to be saved? And do you remember how Peter replies? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Spirit. Last week even, in Acts chapter 2, sorry, Acts chapter 8, verses 12, after Philip preaches the gospel in Samaria, it says, but when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were baptized, 
both men and women. And in Acts 10, we'll see the same thing. When the Holy Spirit falls upon the Gentiles, now even Gentiles are getting converted. Look at what happens in verses 46 and 47. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so this is the point that Luke is getting at. Faith leads to obedience. And the first step of that obedience, generally speaking, we see in the scriptures, is baptism. Now, maybe some of us grew up, I know I did, with kind of a a gospel light version of the gospel, which was, trust in Jesus and he'll forgive your sins. And that's what I heard. So it was like this theological thing where it's like, okay, I get that I'm a sinner, I get that God needs to punish sin, and I get that I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins. And so I grew up with that understanding of the gospel for a long time. But the true message of the gospel is not just a call for a theological confession, but for a whole life submission. Faith in the Bible is not just knowledge, it's also action. Jesus taught this repeatedly. In Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Or in John 14, verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Or the Apostle James will even say this in James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one, well, you do well. But even the demons believe and shudder. James 1, verse 22. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If we merely hear the word, but fail to obey James says we deceive ourselves into thinking our faith is genuine. And so the eunuch believed, but he immediately responded in faith obedience. His baptism was an outward confession, and we heard that today. It's an outward confession of his loyalty to Jesus, his obedience, his whole life submission to Jesus. Jesus said, Believe in me and be baptized. Philip told him that. And this man's reply was, what reason do I have for not being baptized? So here's the question that lands on us today. What reason do you have for not obeying Christ? There are some of us here today who know that we have not responded like this eunuch in faith. And we kind of keep putting off obedience. We keep putting off whole life submission. Perhaps you know that you ought to be baptized. And you are not being obedient like this man was. You believe in Jesus, but you've yet to make that first public step of obedience, of declaration, of bold proclamation. Or perhaps you're here... And your response of faith is not baptism, but it's to be Philip. It's to obey the Great Commission. 
which might, we might even argue is the second greatest step of obedience, is to go and preach the gospel, to go and share our faith. So perhaps you, you've been baptized, but you haven't obeyed Jesus in the Great Commission yet. Tomorrow, I will obey, has become the anthem of your life, postponing your obedience. Brothers and sisters, belief in Christ means obedience to Christ. Say that again. Belief in Christ means obedience to Christ. There is no faith without obedience. Now, obedience does not mean perfection, perfect obedience. I'll never find myself in disobedience and then go, oh, and get back on track. No, of course. But obedience means a full life surrender to obeying Jesus in everything, however imperfectly we do it. So what reason do you have for not obeying? You must ask, we must ask that question, the same question the eunuch asked himself. What reason do I have for not being baptized? What reason do I have for not sharing Christ with my friend or my neighbor or that person that I know God wants me to? And we must ask ourselves today, will we obey Jesus today? That is what real faith looks like. That's what happens when gospel mission goes forward. Well, I love the way this text ends. The text ends with the response of this obedience. Verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord whisked Philip away on to the next. And the eunuch saw him no more, no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. There is great joy, church, when we obey Jesus. There is great, great rejoicing that happens. Great joy in our lives. When we stop letting that fear stop us. When we stop letting excuses stop us from obedience. When we stop letting doubt of God's promises stop us from obedience. And when we obey in the power of the Spirit, in accordance with the power of the Word, There is great joy when we lay our lives down and follow him. So come, come, obey Christ. Some of you need to talk to your pastor today and say, hey, I need to be baptized. Some of you need to go home and finally take that step of opening your mouth in your Bible. So come, obey Christ. He is gracious and he has a great mission that he has equipped you for. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for the instruction of your word this morning. It is challenging, but it gives us great confidence because it tells us that we have been equipped with what we need. You have given us your spirit. You have given us divine help. You have given us your word. And you have given us a commission. Or for those here this morning who are feeling the prick of conviction, to confess Jesus finally, to put their lives down, to say, yes, I am a Christian. Yes, I will follow Jesus. Yes, 
I'm going to declare that loudly, and I'm going to take my first step in obedience through baptism. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them, and great rejoicing would come from that. And for those of us, Lord, who have other areas in our lives where we are not living in obedience, we are not opening our mouths and sharing the gospel, opening the word and sharing Christ, I pray, Lord, that through your Spirit, you would give us great power and boldness to preach, to share, and to trust you with the results. Oh Lord, we are sinful, broken people, and we are thankful for your word. It shapes us, it instructs us. We thank you. Use us, Lord, to the end of the nations and all tribes and all tongues, our neighbors, our co-workers, our family members, knowing the power of the name of Jesus, we pray. And we pray in his name. Amen.